Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Well, it's so nice spending time with you online, no matter where you are, and especially for this week. This is the last week of our series, Exhibiting God's Glory, and it's been an amazing ride as we've been journeying through this topic of what does it mean to exhibit the glory of God. Now, just to quickly refresh our minds, in week one, we started looking at the word glory, and we looked at the fact that this word is the word kabot, it's weightiness, and that God crowned us with glory. We gave this glory up, we're falling short of that because of sin. We've been trying to compensate with our works, and then God, passionate about His glory, did the unthinkable, he emptied himself of glory. Or as the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we can be the righteousness of God. And then in week two, we looked at the fact that God puts his glory on display. He exhibits his glory in, in his holiness. So he's calling us to live in exactly that same way, to live a holy life because we are in Christ. We've already been made holy in Christ and therefore now we are the salt and the light in this world. And we looked at a little bit about what that means. And then over the past three weeks, which this is the last one of those three, we've been looking at a verse that it gives us three words that is central to what it means to exhibit the glory of God. So if you are someone that lives out the glory of God, these three words are a part of your life. And it's captured beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And it says the following, and now these three remain, faith, hope and love but the greatest of these is love we've looked at love and faith in week one of these three we've looked at faith firstly and we said that when we exhibit the glory of god it ignites faith in the hearts of people we saw this in the in the miracle jesus did at the wedding feast and his disciples saw this and their hearts were filled with faith. They believed that Jesus truly is the Messiah. They trusted God. And we said if we display God's glory in this city, wherever you go, when you trust Him, you might just ignite faith in someone's heart to trust Jesus as well. And then last week, we looked at this idea of love. What a powerful statement. And we said that to love is the ultimate expression of the glory of God. It's like the pinnacle moment of showing his glory to the world. And we looked at how Jesus challenges his disciples to love, to move from a place where they were just concerned about problems in their, in their world to have compassion, to suffer with, to be active, to be in the moment there. Do not just make decisions if you love what Jesus loves. You don't just make decisions based on your comfort, but you make it based on a conviction about the calling that God has given us to love our city, to love the world around us. And then lastly, we saw how Jesus challenges his disciples to not just think about how much this will consume, but to think about what they can contribute. So this is the last week, and we're going to be talking about the word hope. And to sum it up, God's glory brings hope to our city. When we exhibit His glory, we are bringers of hope. Now, the human race thrive on hope. We're all hopers. I don't know if you know that, but we live from hope. We cannot live without it. In fact, if you think about it, 
when you were little. We all hope to have parents that's loving and well and a wonderful family. We all hope to have the right friends, good friends, friends that care about you. We all hope to make the team one day, whatever team that may be. You, we all hope to have a good school and get good grades. And then after that, finish school, you hope to get a job, <laughs> get a good job, hopefully, in the process. And then we get into that space of life where we all hope to have the perfect one. Yes, that one. And then when we finally found her, luckily, I was so fortunate to have Gerda. I did find that perfect one. And then later on in life, as things go on, we hope to get kids in the house, man. I mean, we're dreaming about children. And then as life goes on, at a certain stage, we start hoping to get kids out of the house. The reality is this. We are put together by hope, in a sense. Our lives lived in hope. Some of them big hopes, some of them smaller hopes. But we thrive on it. And without it, the human race will die. However, another reality is also very true for us when it comes to hope, and it's that we easily can misplace our hope in things that doesn't pull through. And that's called a false hope. And if you've lived long enough in this world, you've probably experienced a false hope like, like I have. Or like I think the picture in this little beautiful cat shows you. I just love her face. Just check it out. <laughs> I thought you couldn't disappoint me anymore. You proved me wrong. So if you've experienced that, you've probably experienced what it means to place your hope in something that disappoints. So today we're going to look at what biblical hope is not. What is the kind of hope that disappoints? What does that kind of sort of look like? And then we're going to dive into what is a biblical hope? What kind of hope do we have in Jesus? And then lastly, we're going to see how hope changes everything. So let's dive in. Number one, what is a biblical hope? What, what is the biblical hope not? What's it not? So maybe to understand hope a little bit better, I want to use an illustration. So imagine with me for a moment. You had two friends, and they both had the capacity to climb into a time machine, and they can go 20 years into the future, and they go and check out your life in 20 years from now, and they know exactly what's going to happen. They know all the nices and all, all, the, all the pros, all the cons, all the things that we'd love and all the things that we'd hate. They know all of that. They come back in their time machine, and they arrive right here. And you can ask any one of these two friends what your future will look like, there's just one little twist. One of them will tell you a lie. He will lie to make you feel better about your future. The other one will tell you the truth. You will know exactly what's waiting for you in your future, no matter how it makes you feel. To which one will you go? What friend will you go and ask about your future? I think anybody listening to this and thinking to themselves would obviously go to the friend that tells them the truth. You don't want to base your whole life hopes on a lie. In fact, when in America, the <clears throat> COVID pandemic just started and it was big talks, there was one specific guy whose approval ratings shot through the roof in the nation. And this guy's name was Dr. Fauci. And the main reason for it 
was people wanted to know what was going to happen. They wanted to know the truth. They wanted to place their hopes and their decisions in truth. They wanted to root it in truth. I think that John Ortberg puts it best when he says the following. He says, it doesn't matter how hopeful a message is. If it's not truthful, it's hopeless. No one puts their hope in something that's a lie. Because you know you will be disappointed. You're looking for truth. Now, the kind of hope that's not biblical is this kind of hope. It's a hope not rooted in the truth. It's more referred to by optimism or wishful thinking, maybe wish upon a star moments, or um, I just want to feel good. And uh, therefore, I'm willing to place my hope in something that will disappoint. And this is going around a lot. A lot of people sell this kind of hope, yet nobody wants to really buy it. You see, optimism is different than biblical hope, because optimism only seeks a change in circumstances. Optimism places its hope in circumstances, and it hopes for success in circumstances, to change for the better. And if it doesn't, then we have a problem. Then we have difficulty when it comes to that moment. So <clears throat> it's a temporary thing. The moment the circumstances fail, your hope failed, and you have no more success. Now, I'm not saying today that optimism is bad. Not at all. I think to have a positive outlook on life, to really trust for the best to come is really an amazing character trait and it should be celebrated. But it's not biblical hope. You see, biblical hope is far greater than our circumstance. It's far deeper. Our hope is not dependent on whether things will go better in our current circumstances. No. It's rooted in something far deeper, far greater, in a truth, in the truth. You see, Christian hope is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is the hope of any Christ follower. That's the hope that's presented. Now, to maybe look and understand a little bit more about what this hope is that we have in Jesus, I want to invite you to read with me. We're going to be reading out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. And we're going to discover three things about hope. Now, there's obviously a lot that we can learn about hope in the Bible, but I just quickly want to lift out three things in this little verse, these two verses. It goes as follows. Peter writes the following. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, three things pops out to me as I'm reading this portion of Scripture. The first one is that Christian hope is a gift. It says it here, right there in the middle of verse 3. It says, God's great mercy, through His great mercy, He has given us. This is a hope, if you're in Christ, that you cannot earn. It's a gift from God, meaning it's accessible to anyone who would accept it. You just need to receive it. You humble yourself and you receive it. That Jesus Christ alone is your hope. You cannot lose this hope. This hope is not like circumstances. When it fades, it's gone. 
because you didn't earn it. You don't have to earn it. You get it. And you accept. You embrace it. The second big thing that we learn about biblical hope that we have in Jesus is that this hope is everlasting. In fact, it's described as being imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There is never going to be a moment in all of eternity, forever and ever and ever, that this hope will fade, that it will not be tangible, that it will not be there anymore. The hope that we have in Jesus will last forever. It's unfading. It will never, ever, ever, ever fade. It's not something that will end as you see your money run out. If you put your hope in your money and your money starts getting less and less and less and you see, oh my word, look at the economic circumstance. That's not the case. When you put it in Jesus, he conquered death. And he did it. It stands. And then lastly, I think most importantly of all, is that this hope is alive. It's a living hope. It's not just a hope that it's static and standing there. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ himself. And the moment Jesus conquered death, everything changed. He's alive. And that changed history. That meant everything turns around. And in fact, I want us to dive in a little bit deeper into this because this is such a radical change. I really think we need to Spend just some time, dive into this, and understand how big this moment is. Probably the best way to explain it <clears throat> is to mention a movie that I've watched. Um, I don't know if there are any Six Saints fans in the house. Maybe where you are, you are loving this movie. Yes, I've enjoyed it. Maybe you've watched it, and if you've ever watched it and you're a fan, you'll know exactly where I'm going with this. But if you haven't, here is the story a little bit in a nutshell. So it's um, Bruce Willis plays the role of a psychiatrist in the movie, and he's busy helping a young boy through one of his phases and, and challenges, psychological challenges in life. This boy sees dead people. And throughout this movie, um, Bruce Willis, playing the role of the psychiatrist, discovers and helps and journeys with this young boy to face the psychological challenge that he has in life. And then right at the end of the movie, just before it hangs off and it says goodbye, it builds up to this moment and we have a cliffhanger ending. It's unbelievable moments. It's, like, it's almost like everything changes when Bruce Willis discovers that he is one of the dead people that this young boy sees. <laughs> that moment, if you've ever watched the movie, forces the watcher to immediately stop rewind the whole movie, watch it all over again because it's such a life-changing, breaking moment. I mean, you see this changes everything. This changes the whole way you viewed the movie. Everything changes. And if you've not watched the movie before, I've just, just saved you four hours of your life and you can thank me later. <laughs> but guys, it's almost in the same way, even greater, that the moment Jesus was resurrected and he conquered death. Everything changed. That moment changed the course of human history as we know it today. And it's historical fact. You can see it out there. In fact, that moment says life trumps death. 
death is not the final destination of humanity because in Jesus Christ, there is life and there is life in abundance. I quickly want to take you into three practical moments just to see how this has changed everything and maybe then ask you to open up your heart for God to challenge your life and your view to see how you become a bringer of hope in your workplace, to your family. So firstly, one of the big things that changed, <clears throat> just to show you how radical this moment was, is the cross, just the symbol of the cross. Do you realize that the cross is an instrument of death? It's one of the most horrific, excruciating deaths a person can die. It's humiliating to be nailed to a cross. It was an instrument of torture that would lead to death. If you had at all been associated with the symbol of a cross, you were a cursed man. However, today, we have billions of people around the world that looks at the empty cross as the greatest symbol of hope. I mean, we don't put gallows in our houses, hang them up there as nice instruments of death and think, wow, this looks amazing. We, we just don't do that. However, we take one of the most horrific instruments of death that the Roman Empire perfected and we hang it up in our houses. For what reason? Well, there's one reason and one reason only. It's because Jesus died and he conquered death and he conquered that instrument. And suddenly that became a symbol of hope that in Jesus, this is not the final destination. Or as Paul says, death. Where is your sting? Another thing that I think changed so radically, but we don't even note it, is this. The way we view children in our day and age. We are sometimes so far separated from the moment of the cross and the world in which Jesus lived and what was before him that we don't even realize how much it's changed. We take it for granted. But did you know that in the Roman Empire, it was legal to kill children? To a parent can literally kill his child before the age of 12 if they didn't want that kid because a child was not seen as a human being in that world. What changed it? Well, Christians. You see, Christians did some of the unthinkable things. They would go to the roads, to the ash heaps, to the places where unwanted children was left for dead. They would pick those kids up, they would adopt them, bring them into their homes, love them, care for them, look after them. In a world filled with great poverty, the Christians stepped up. Why? Did you know that that was the moment that Christian orphanages, that orphanages were born? And the way we view kids, I mean, it's almost unthinkable today to speak about children as not valuable. It's like, this, I'll, I'd rather give my life. This child has his whole life in front of him. That's the kind of language that we use when we speak about kids. Where did this come from? It came from Jesus who died on a cross and with his death declared that every single human life has value. No one misses out. Guys, if you see that, it changes your perspective. Last thing that I think many times we don't even realize is the economy. The economy of Jesus' day and age changed radically. In fact, Europe's economy were built on this, hugely. 
the day that Jesus lived, 96% of people lived in dire poverty. And I'm talking about real desperate, desperate poverty. Like I don't even have a roof over my head kind of level of poverty. That was the majority of the people. And the one thing that changed it was the generosity of Jesus' followers. Christians changed the Roman Empire around. In fact, we actually have evidence of this. As an emperor once wrote to one of the pagan priests trying to revive paganism within the Roman Empire, he had this one big thorn in his side. And he wrote to this priest and told him, you know, these Christians, what are we going to do with them? They don't just look after their own poor. They look after everyone's poor. They have generosity that overflows because when you're in Jesus, you have received life and you have it in abundance. And you look at what you can give, not what you can get. You love and you bring Jesus to the world. Wherever you and I walk, we bring hope. Not just coming to a Sunday service, guys. And this is where I want to end. Because in this verse, we really get to the heart of it. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul writes the following. He says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles. That's basically the whole world Paul here speaks of. He says, he wanted to make known to the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's Paul touching on? Paul is saying that whenever and wherever you walk, whether it's on a Sunday into church or on a Monday into your workplace, you have Christ in you. And because of Christ, there is hope. There is hope that pain and death and sickness will never have the final say, no matter what your circumstances is. There is hope that justice will be done and the Prince of Peace will bring peace and wholeness to this world full on. And you are the one that carries that hope. So, the challenge today is to open up your heart and ask God to show you, to guide you through His Spirit, to bring hope in every area that God is entrusting you to walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege to know You through Jesus. And Dad, I want to pray that wherever people might be sitting today, whether it's in their living room listening to this with friends and family or maybe just behind their phones or a computer, but you are gripping their hearts with this truth, this wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us to wherever we walk, share this mystery that Christ is in us. He is the hope of God's glory being restored in our society. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.